Sangram here, super excited. On March 4th, we launched Account-Based Marketing Foundations course on LinkedIn in partnership with LinkedIn. There are 19 videos, four minutes and under. So literally in an hour, you can be account-based marketing certified if you have a LinkedIn account. So again, I don't need your email address or anything like that. You can literally go on LinkedIn. If you have a premium account, you can do it for free. If you don't have a premium account, then you can get a 30-day free subscription to that and they will let you take the course. And then you can put that certificate on your LinkedIn saying that you are account-based marketing certified. So good luck. Check it out. It's only going to last for 30 days. So I'm going to have this snippet run for the next few weeks and then it will be gone. So if you want to take this course for free, check it out, go. And this is going to make and change the way you do marketing in your organization. I hate to say it, but you should look for the difficult experience. Don't always go for the lowest friction, lowest common denominator, because at some point in your life, you're going to realize, you know, you could have grown more if you had a greater challenge. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another episode of Flip My Funnel Podcast. Uh, As you know, Tuesday is our takeover series. And Ethan, who's the VP of marketing at BombBomb, has been interviewing incredible guests around this idea of evangelism. And he's really had the first guest. Great, great topic. Our second guest is even more incredible. So Ethan, who do you have for today's episode? We both had the privilege of interviewing Guy Kawasaki, who is arguably the first chief evangelist and certainly one of the most notable ones. He spent some time at Apple, went and founded a company, and then he got invited back to Apple as their first and actually only chief evangelist. And so we go deep on that background a little bit. He's just a joyful, joyful person. And it's a really fun conversation. He preferred to get into the high level, the the experience, the history, more than the guts, the operational guts and and some of the other things that I tried to probe at. And it's just a really interesting and fun conversation. How did you enjoy it? Oh, man, it was so good. And the best part of this one, I think it may not come in the recording as well, but he waited for us for this call. He waited additional 20 minutes. There was some calendar snafu, but he waited for a call. He was not feeling great, but he still made the the commitment and he did this. So I feel extremely fortunate. I feel like when you have people like that who care about an interview and, and and something that they want to put out and they have a commitment and they follow through that commitment so well, it just speaks so highly of somebody's character. Yeah, so gracious. Yeah, it's awesome, man. All right, so let's just jump into our interview with Guy Kawasaki. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flip My Funnel podcast. My name is Ethan, guest host. I'm joined here with the real host of the show, Sangram Vajre, and a special guest, Guy Kawasaki, who has just released his 15th book. We're going to get a little bit into that, but we're going to get also into Chief Evangelism, Chief Evangelism Today with Canva in the past at Apple, and some of the 
awesome stories and joyful energy that he brought to that book and to this podcast. Guy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, super excited. And Ethan, thank you for uh, taking over this whole series around chief evangelism. So Guy, again, huge fan and having a similar title at a much smaller company is an honor to, to meet like the very first evangelist. And it was awesome to read parts of the, the book and the early copy. So let's just start with the, the big question. What does success look like as a chief evangelist? Because I don't know if anybody creates that as a job description. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, evangelism comes from a Greek word meaning bringing the good news. So I guess that the biggest measure of success is that you brought the good news and people are agreeing with your good news. So they bought into your dream. They bought into your vision, your passion. So when I evangelized Macintosh, you know, I was trying to get people to buy into the Macintosh vision, more creative, more productive, graphical user interface, WYSIWYG, you know, all the good stuff. Chief evangelist of Canva, Canva democratizes design. So I'm bringing the good news of everybody can create great graphics. Yeah. And I've used Canva myself in the yeah. you know uh, on and off, and it's it's super easy. So I can see why the similarity of you know something like Apple, where people love the the product itself, Canva, uh, you know people love the product itself. So that makes a lot of sense. Cool. I really enjoyed a the story of how you connected with Canva and how you became the chief evangelist, and especially the way you work the math out there. Just the serendipity involved and the chances of arriving there is zero. Um, <laughs> Also in the book that we don't need to go through here immediately is your first stint at Apple was also as an evangelist. And there's an interesting story about A, how it started and B, how it ended. But you bring us to 95 when you go back to Apple for your second, your second spell there, where your title was chief evangelist, generally regarded as the original chief evangelist role. What was that about? Like, what were the measurements? How was it structured? How did you roll in? Like, what are the kind of the guts? So when I returned to Apple in 1995, it was a very different Apple. It was hardly the most valuable company in the world, you know, trillion dollar valuation. Most people thought uh, Apple would die. So I returned to Apple. Apple was supposed to die. Michael Dell was telling Apple, you know, give all the money back to the shareholders and close the company. So my job was to preserve the Macintosh cult, the Macintosh religion. And that's what I did. I, I made sure that the believers, the true believers continue to believe. And email was a big part of that. I remember the, you know, your, your offering about the evangelist yes. in, in the book. Just for people who don't understand evangelism, who are the main stakeholders in it? And what, what was the function of the email list? Yeah. So how do you go about your business? So basically the, the, the start of great evangelism is that you have a great product or service because it's very hard to evangelize crap. So, you know, Macintosh was a great product. Canva's a great product. It's easy to evangelize those things. So you're trying to get people to buy into your dream. And I think the most powerful method is a demo that you show them a Macintosh. Now, you have to take yourself back to 1984 for this. And you show them Canva. I think one of the, the concepts of evangelism is you, you're not trying to bludgeon people into becoming your customer. Uh, you show them the way and they either get it or not, really. You don't bludgeon people to become uh, believers. Yeah. Yeah. And during during that time, guy, who did you report to? The second time, I reported to Don Norman for a while. And then I reported to Garino De Luca, I think. You know, I was an Apple fellow and chief evangelist. And yeah. a fellowship at Apple is kind of a 
you know, vague thing. It's not like you exactly have a, a line position and, you know, these are your direct reports and all this kind of stuff. It's quasi honorary, quasi, you know, a big deal title. So, man, I forget. <laughs> well, I, I think the takeaway then is it's like, you know, you're a free agent who's in deep from a knowledge yeah. standpoint and from an experience and an energy standpoint. And it's just oh. send that guy off into the world and build relationships and turn people on. Well, on the other hand, there has never been another chief evangelist. So that should tell you something. That's interesting. (laughs) You started it and you made sure it was finished. Yeah, I was the first and last. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, along those lines, now, you know, you obviously have been also working with Mercedes-Benz and you're a brand ambassador for them. What's the difference between the two two roles of chief evangelist as Canva, brand ambassador, or all these just terms? Yeah. Well, with Chief Evangelist of Canva, I have a free account. With uh, <laughs> Chief Evangelist of Apple, I had all the free Macs I wanted. And uh, Brand Ambassador Mercedes, I get any Mercedes I want. So <laughs> there's a lot of similarities there. Well, there is one. So that that that's really cool. Now, what would you say to other evangelists that are out there? You know, I would put myself in that category. When like. If you want to do a really good damn job of evangelism, yeah, what is it like maybe the one thing or something that you would say, you got to think about this. This is your job. As I said, you know, it starts with a great product or service because it's very hard to evangelize crap. And then I really think, again, I said this, it's about the demo. I mean, uh, you know, a demo is worth a thousand PowerPoint slides. You know what I'm saying? So it's about the demo. And it's also about a philosophy that, you know, you believe in your product or service because it's good for the other person, not for your quota, not for your commission, not for your income. I'm not saying that if people use Canva or when people bought Macintoshes, it wasn't good for me. It was. But, you know, I had the attitude of, you know, I want you to use Macintosh because it'll make you more creative and productive. I want you to use Canva because it'll enable you to have great graphics. And by the way, honestly, it is also good for me if you do this. Yeah. yeah. So focus on the demo, focus on the great product, focus on improving people's lives. Yes, that sincerity behind it is the key, like tying it over to the other person. Otherwise, it's just a straight sales role, right? Yes. I mean, you can make the case that evangelism is the purest form of sales. Sure. That Yeah, that's a great takeaway. <laughs> I want to change direction just a little bit. I, one of the themes that comes out in the book is your passion for formal education. I love the line from your dad that, you know, no matter what happens, we always have money for books. You have really fun stories about your forays into medical school and law school. <laughs> briefly, um, very briefly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're, real, they're really funny stories. But you did do an MBA. And the thing I'm interested in, in having you just kind of expound upon is, you know, there, there's a theme in popular culture and in business culture, like the hustle culture, you know, this hustle and grind thing that, that maybe kind of denigrates formal education is unnecessary and a waste of time and a waste of money, but you obviously have a deep passion for it, deep respect for it, committed to it yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, complex question. You know, I think that learning doesn't end when you graduate from school. Many people think, okay, so I got my degree, boom, done. You know, that's it. That's not true. And I also think that a lot of learning doesn't have to occur in the classroom. But I'll also say that, you know, I, I understand the theory of, you know, pursue your passion. You don't really need a college degree, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that most 
people, if they can afford it, if it can be done, they would benefit from a college degree because I think, you know, it broadens your horizons. Now, you know, I also understand that, you know, if you're the world's greatest pottery maker or the world's greatest auto mechanic or something, you know, not every, you don't have to go to college to be successful and happy. And if you go to college, it doesn't automatically mean you be successful and happy. But if you can, I think it prepares you for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's similar to, to your take on travel as well, like the broadening perspectives and just uh, expanding your worldview. Yeah. I've traveled all over the world. I really think that, you know, maybe I don't exactly have a random sample of people all over the world, but my impression is people are more similar than they are different. And, you know, basically everybody wants a better life for their family. And that's just true everywhere I go, except maybe, you know, the White House. But anyway. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, well, let's let's talk about this idea then about high standards, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you've written about it in this and, you know, everybody knew like Steve Jobs versus, you know, what would be a high school teacher. Like just share about your philosophy and thoughts, yeah. and your experience around that. Well, so my theory is that as you look back over your life, I think you'll come to realize that the toughest bosses and the toughest teachers, the toughest coaches taught you the most. And so when you're in the process, in school, you know, on a team, when you're in a job, you want the easiest, right? You want the boss who doesn't check on you, gives you easy reviews, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Same with the coach, same with the teacher. But then as I look back on my life, Steve Jobs, the hardest boss, I learned the most from him. Harold Keebles, English teacher in high school, hardest teacher, learned the most from him. You know, that's something you need to understand that in a sense, I hate to say it, but you should look for the difficult experience. Don't always go for the lowest friction, lowest common denominator, uh, because at some point in your life, you're going to realize, you know, you could have grown more if you had a greater challenge. Yeah, I, I totally see that. Ethan, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I loved that passage on it. I, what I was curious about, and if, you're, if you have any stories around it, you know, obviously what you want to do when I read and I agree with your experience with Steve and with Harold Keebles drawing the most out of you, flip that. Like if you ever had any direct reporting in any of your roles or even as a parent, how do you set those standards? Like flip that. So with you as the student or the team member employee, you know, you, you took that as the recipient. How have you used that approach in parenting or, or managing other people? Well, let's leave parenting off the table because I'm not holding myself up as an example of parenting, but, you know, coaching other people, entrepreneurs, you know, stuff like that. I basically drill them. (laughs) 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 I mean, not in a sadistic way, but, you know, I, I cut to the chase. You know, when somebody sends me a PowerPoint, I rip them to shreds and, you know, they may hate it and all that, but I think at some point they'll say, you know, guy was right. I mean, he just ripped our presentation to shreds and he was right. So I don't think you're doing anybody a favor by just, you know, saying, you know, yes, it's very promising. I'm really excited, you know, blah, blah, blah. In fact, often when I review people's writing or review people's pitches, I ask them in advance, okay, so you want to go down the path of I, I'm positive and I tell you it's exciting and interesting and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or do you want me to tell you the truth? And then everybody says, oh, yeah, tell me the truth. I can take it. I said, all right, now I'm just double checking. You are absolutely positively sure. You want me to drill you, right? You I mean, you understand that, right? And then they say yes. And then I ask them one more time. And then they say yes. And I drill them. Yeah, because they know it's coming. And to your point, it's probably the best thing for them. This is a little bit of a personal curiosity. I follow you on social and I have for some time. 
And, you know, you made the White House reference before, and you're just really direct about, <laughs> uh, about the things that matter to you. And so, you know, you, you do touch on it in the book a little bit about kind of an obligation to use your platform for what you think is the right thing. When did that light bulb turn on for you? So in November of 2016, I was in Germany and I was having dinner with some friends in Germany. And this is just as, you know, the primary elections and all that kind of stuff is happening, right? Or the final election. And these two Germans said to me, well, you know, to this day, we ask our grandparents, what were you thinking? You know, how, how did you like let Hitler come to power? What, what, did you resist? What happened there? And so they said to me, you know, guy, Trump is your Hitler. And do you want your grandchildren to someday ask you, you know, grandpa, did you resist? And that's when the light bulb went off. And I said, you know what? I am going to resist. I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. And you, know, you can be pro-Trump. I mean, I, you know, freedom of expression, go for it. But don't tell me what I can do. And so uh, since that time, I've been all in on politics. And I use my social media platform now primarily for political views. And this drives some people crazy. I get a lot of hate. And I just block people. I don't even, I don't even think twice. I just block them. <laughs> yeah, and, and so for you, I, I felt like the purpose of the mission outweighs any loss of following. Yeah, well, first of all, I never lost followers, truly. You know, some people tell me, oh, God, you know, if you, you come out so anti-Trump, you're going to lose half of your potential audience. It's not true. Half of my potential audience are not those people, for better or for worse. But they're not. I'm not going to lose half my audience. On the other hand, I will really attract you know, arguably people like you, right? So you see that I took a stand and you agree with that stand, but there are others who disagree with that stand. I would rather have people who really agree with me and really disagree with me than people who not know. Mm. And I also think there is a moral obligation. And, you know, as the famous quote goes by, you know, if you just stand by and don't say anything, you're as fault as anybody. Right. So I've decided to take a stand and, you know, they don't like it. They don't have to follow me. I don't care. You know, life goes on. It's interesting. We've seen that recently with some brands as well who take, yeah. uh, who take well, Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Patagonia, Patagonia I admire, Pat- you know, when I, when Patagonia went out and, you know, did all that stuff, I, I went out and bought $150 jeans from Patagonia and I bought a jacket from Patagonia. I didn't need either of them. I said, you know, <laughs> if they're going to go like that, I'm going to go buy jeans from them. I don't care. So I did my little thing to support Patagonia. That's super cool. So I know we are kind of wrapping up toward, towards the end. So I'm going to just wrap up with maybe two or three big ideas because I'll always take a bunch of notes as we, as we talk <laughs> through it. And, and we'll obviously share and in the show notes, kind of put the link to your book. The wise guy, lessons from a life, uh, guy Kawasaki. But here are the big notes, and and guy, what I what we, we would both, Ethan, and I would love for you to share is maybe a challenge for people to who's listening to the podcast who are mostly in leadership roles in their organization. What is yeah. the one challenge you want to give them? So just think about that as I wrap up with, uh, okay. with some of these thoughts. So first okay. of all, I did not know. I'm my t- title is chief evangelist, that it actually meant bringing the good news. So now I learned something new about. My- <laughs> so, so thank you for that. And then Ethan, you brought up a great point. Like it literally is almost like a free agent kind of well. Like your job is to go and do that. So yeah. I, I think that was good. I have heard people say this, and now I think I finally understand why they said that. They say, Man, you're the best sales guy. I'm like, 
I'm not a commission. I'm not on quota. No, and, and, and this is coming from customers or future customers. You're the best sales guy. And now I think when guy, you said that this is the purest form of sale. <laughs> I get it now. Like, why did they say it? Because, because we just are totally in, in love with the problem that we're trying to solve for our customers. And, and we don't care about how much the deal is, but that's what they love. So I, I love that part. And then finally, this is so big. And I don't think I fully absorbed it until this conversation. And I'm going to take more time thinking about this is look for those toughest experiences in your life to grow. And I don't think I put enough weight on that earlier because I'm, I, I feel like I'm a pleaser. I, I like to please others. I like to please even the people who report to me or people in the company or people in customers. But, but I feel like your point around like you learn the most or you grow the most probably in, in a bigger way when you have the toughest teachers and toughest critiques of yours so well, just to be clear okay i'm not saying you should be a masochist okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no but I, I agree that i feel like now that i reflect on it some of the people i absolutely was like man that they they were actually really good they they yeah. made it better and yeah. i need to reflect on that so those were some of the big ideas among many i'm sure but what is the one challenge you want to share with okay. everybody as leaders out there okay. as a leader the challenge I give to you is I want you to look around the room at the people you lead, okay? And I want you to get to a point where you look at them and you say, every one of them is better than me. So let's let's take the highest level. Suppose you're CEO and you're having your staff meeting of your direct reports. You should look around the room and say, you know what? My finance person is better than me in finance. My marketing person is better than me in marketing. My engineering person is better than me in engineering. My operations person is better than me in operations. Everybody in this room is better at what they do than I am. That should be a source of pride for you. That's just, that's a very good test of leadership. Wow. I love that. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. (laughs) It's awesome. Well, all righty. Yeah, thank you so much, God. Thank you, Ethan, for, for making this happen, man. This has been fantastic. Yeah, All thank right. you. Take well care. done, Guy. Congrats on your 15th book. It was a pleasure to read and your enthusiasm for life. There's so much in there that we didn't touch on. And by the way, I think you're too humble with regard to your parenting. The clothes from your own children, the stories, and the, it's just all great. So great. Uh, continued success to you. And uh, thanks again for your time. All right. Take care. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.